to the University of Spiritual Warfare. Bible Code 7, University of Spiritual Warfare. We're delighted to have you on board with us tonight. And before we go any further, let me make an announcement. Happy Thanksgiving next week, next Thursday. Happy Thanksgiving to you, your loved ones, your family. But you will not see us next Thursday. We're taking time off. There'll be no briefing at 12, 12 noon. And also there will be no university tomorrow, uh, next week, Thursday night, beg your pardon. So please remind yourself, send a little note. There will be a day of freedom, day of relaxing, day of enjoyment for your family next week, Thanksgiving Day. Okay. So just want to let you know that we will not be on board next week. All right, so tonight, I'm going to get right into it. I want to talk about breaking the back of the wicked. We're talking about what? Breaking the back of the wicked. We've got to break the power of sorcery. Sorceries are all around us. It's biblical. It's from biblical times. and It's in the Bible. It's real. Don't be... Like an ostrich, stick your head in the sand and say, well, if it doesn't, uh, if I don't believe it, it won't bother me. Well, that's what I used to believe when I was a lot younger, many, many moons ago. But it will bother you. And if you are not warring against the enemies, the enemy is certainly warring against you. So please understand that you have to be in constant warfare. And the Bible tells us, Paul the Apostle tells us that we are to fight the good fight. We are to what? Wage a good warfare. Because if you don't, you will encounter shipwreck. And it's either or. Now, I know many people, as I've said before so many times, many people are nice Christians. You know, they, they don't bother with anything. They just love to go to church. They, they, they just uh, tiptoe through the tulips. They don't believe in warfare. Every so, uh, so often they go to church and they don't like to be bothered with anything. You know, they say, I don't want to be in warfare. They don't, they don't even like the idea of warfare. Well, wake up and smell the coffee. Because if it's, you're not taking the warfare to the adversary, he's certainly taking it to you, to your house, to your children, to your loved ones. So no matter what you do, no matter how you do it, you must war. And I, I tell these Christians, I say, listen, I can preach to the, teach till the cows come home. I can lead you to water, but I cannot make you drink it. <clears throat> and understand that I can also wipe your noses for you, but I can't blow your nose for you. So if you're willing and you listen, you can hear what I have to say. It's biblically based, and the rest is up to you. Now, I was imparting my testimony today on the briefing. What I went through in 1988, a horrible, horrible, horrible time, horrible attack of the adversary. I was in a, a pitfall. I was in the pit for about three months or so, and I never realized what was going on, but I was in this horrible attack, and the enemy was making mincemeat out of me. He had me down. He had me every which way but loose. And I know what it is. So when I start teaching warfare, I'm not teaching something from what I hear on television. 
I'm not teaching water here from what somebody's book uh, inscribed that I should, you know, read and t tell, tell anyone about it. I am telling what I have been through. I'm giving my testimony. I'm telling what I endured and how I came out of it and what the Lord revealed to me. So when I talk about Code 7 warfare, this is the revelation of the Lord from me or to me. And when he revealed it to me, it was after I went through a horrible situation. And then after I went through in 90, 1988, I was using it for a while, but I didn't understand it. Not until 2017, uh, 30 years later, because I didn't get the full understanding until after I started writing the book and completed the book in 2018. Then I began to really look over and I began to get full understanding and the Lord began to give me the full understanding. I said, oh, now I understand. I didn't understand before. I just knew it worked. But I didn't have the understanding. And when I had the understanding, I said, my God, this has been in the Bible all these years. I said, how come nobody ever <laughs> talked about it? How come they... I never heard anybody because I'm, a, I'm the person that reads voraciously. I listen to people, but not, not every person, but I do read a tremendous amount of reading. I never saw anything regarding that, but this has been in the Bible all these years. So I came to understand the basic uh, tenets of Christianity is that we're in a warfare against evil. As we, we will see in the Bible, we've got to understand that there are sorcerers, and the sorcerers use sorcery. They use evil, they use magic, they use demonic manipulation. They use curses, hexes, or spells. And they're all working for their employer, Satan. And we must understand that God has one antidote for witches, warlocks, sorcery. That's Exodus 22.18. I want you to get to understand Exodus 22.18. Know it by heart. What does Exodus 22.18 say? You can write it down or go turn to your, in your Bible. It says, suffer not a witch to live. God told his people, do not allow a witch to live. Back in the old days when he told them that, they'd stone him. They'd kill him. Well, we don't have the luxury of doing that today. We have to allow the word of God to take place. So we declare the word of God. And when we come against witches, we say, you shall die and you shall not live. You cannot live. Why? Because the word of God declares you're dead. God has already written your obituary. Witch is female. Warlock or wizard is male. So anyone practicing sorcery, what does the Lord say about them? I have already written your obituary. You're a dead man. You're a dead woman. But remember, we can't kill anybody. We must what? Declare the word of God and let God do the killing in his time. So here is God's take on witchcraft and sorcery. Exodus 22:18. Put that down in your notes, please. Then let's move forward. Jesus came in the New Testament and Jesus told us how to deal with the devil. In the book of Matthew, the fourth chapter, after Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, that was some serious preparation. He didn't take the devil lightly. Jesus never called Satan old slewfoot and talked derogatorily about him. No, he took him seriously. Even though 
Satan is a created thing. He's a created being. Created by who? Jesus. He took him seriously. He fasted and he prayed. Then after 40 days, he went before the devil. He saw the devil. He met the devil to be tempted by the devil. The Bible said he was led of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tested or tempted by the devil. And if Jesus was tested or tempted by the devil, don't you believe for one moment that you will escape your temptation or your testing. It ain't going to happen. So you've got to get ready for your temptation and your testing in the same manner as Jesus did. You've got to fast. Right now I'm on a fast. Fasting today, fasting again tomorrow. What did the Bible say? Jesus said, these kinds will not go anywhere. They will not budge except by fasting and by prayer. Okay? And what kind of prayer? You'll see in a little while because the prayer has got to be declaratory where you begin to declare the word. Jesus gave the demo in Matthew, the fourth chapter, when the devil came to him and said, well, you know, if you're the son of God, uh, take these stones, you're hungry, take them and make them into bread. And the first thing, Jesus was already ready. He said to him, it is written. Jesus did what? Told Satan. It is written. Told the created thing, the created being. The creator looked at the created thing and told him, oh, you don't rule Satan. It is written. And then he exclaimed to him what was written. He pronounced to him. What was written? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. So he proclaimed what? The word of God to Satan and told Satan, this is how it goes. You know that. You know the word of God is eternally settled in heaven. You are up there. And you know how it works up there before you fell and you had to be thrown down to the earth. You know how it is. The word of God is irrefutable. You cannot go above it or you cannot break it. We don't debate it. It's off limits. So Jesus gave us the demo. You deal with the devil with what? Fasting and the declaration of the word of the living God. Nothing else he doesn't understand. You can sing all you want to. You can jump and shout all you want. Nothing else but the word. It, it is written. Daddy says. And then we've got to understand that this is what it takes. So we're going to go into something tonight. I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, because I want to move quickly tonight. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We're going to look at what the preparation should be. Jesus said it must be what? Fasting. Yes, we should fast, but then we must also have the what? Understanding of what our preparation is going to be to encounter the devil. So, Ephesians, the sixth chapter, we'll look at the tenth verse. My God, you've had this preached to you so many times, you know this by heart. But let's get a couple understandings, gleanings from this scripture. It says, finally, in the long run, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let me say that again. Finally, in conclusion, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Not in your own strength, 
not in your own might, your own power, but be strong in the Lord. How are you going to be strong in the Lord? I've never met God. I've never met Jesus. Shake his hand. Sit down and talk to him. Belly up to the table with him. I've never yet met him like that. How do I meet him? I meet him through his word. Every moment, every time. I meet him through what? His word. I cast my mind, my eyes, my spirit upon him. And I meet him through the word. And even when I'm not looking in the word, I cast my mind, my reflection, my thoughts upon him. And how do I encounter him? I come to him through his word. I remember what his word is. I'm always going to him with the word. So I remember a word. So I'm strong in the Lord through what? The word. And in the strength of his might. And in the power of his might. Not by our might. Our power, but by his spirit, said the Lord. So the word, the spirit and life, the truth, the word of God, that's how we encounter him. That's how we are strong in the Lord, because we are in his word. And then he admonishes us. He says, put on the whole armor, not partial armor, the whole armor of God. That what? You may be able to stand against the trickery, the deceits, or the attacks of the devil. The whole armor is needed. And I've taught you so many times of a soldier does not go to battle wearing flip-flops, shorts, and a T-shirt. He puts on military boots. He puts on his garment, his pants, his shirt. And then he puts on the full armor, including the helmet. So the Lord tells us in the 12th verse, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And notice he says wrestle. It's not a boxing match. And even though Paul the Apostle says, uh, I do not fight as one that beats the air, meaning he does not go into a match as if he is shadow boxing. Not as when he is warring, he is countering the forces of darkness. And anything and everything he does, he does to make connection and deliver a massive blow to the enemies. But this is not a, this is not a boxing match. A boxing match, yeah, the bell rings, there's timeouts, each fighter goes to their corner, they get a nice rub down, a pep talk, and a glass of water, and they get a, uh, a couple of min- uh, about a minute or so they can catch their breath. No, 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 not, not so in wrestling. When you lock on, you hold on, you squeeze, you pull, you tug. That's what wrestling is all about, nonstop. So he admonishes us, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we are wrestling. Remember now, you're wrestling. No time out, no coffee breaks. Against what? Principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Spiritual wickedness in high places. All these are what? Demonic entities, created beings. And then he tells us you're also wrestling against what? Wicked worldly Governors are wicked worldly rulers. Now, that's not in the KJV. Wicked worldly governors are wicked worldly rulers are not in the KJV. But inside the Geneva Bible printed in 1599, it's there. Which means what? KJV, King James took it out. He didn't like it. So he took it out. Why? Because it was an affront to him. We're wrestling against what? Wicked worldly rulers or wicked worldly governors. So we are wrestling against principalities, powers, 
rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, and wicked worldly rulers, the Simons, the sorcerers, the witches, the warlocks. We are wrestling against these people. And we are to understand that this is where your problem comes from. And even if you don't know anybody, let me tell you something. You're the nicest person on planet Earth. You do good to everyone. You wouldn't even mash an ant. The devil has a witch or a warlock cursing you. Because what? You name the name Jesus. You're one of his. You're marked. You've got a target on your back. Why? Because you have the name of Jesus in your heart and in your soul and on your lips. And understand very, very carefully that you become marked because of that. You are light. You're salt. You're light. And the devil and his demons are darkness, and the witches and the warlocks are darkness, and they hate light. You're despised. You're hated. You're an enemy. And they seek everything they can to not only harm you, your household, your children, your little ones. But in the name of Jesus, we are going to stand against the forces of hell. Why? Because we have been, been endued with power and we have the authority from on high. And we are going to stand with what he has given us. Then we are admonished to take unto us the full armor, the whole armor of God. Then your feet must be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's what you stand on. Your boots must be there. Take the shield of faith, wherewith you shall quench the, all, all the fiery darts of the wicked. So the darts are coming. My faith tells me, not, no, 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 no. No weapon fashioned against me is going to prosper. It's not going to work. And every tongue that rises up against me to send these fiery darts these spiritual curses and hexes and spell my way. Guess what? I have the responsibility to do what? Condemn them. So if you're not condemning, then they're going to stick fast in you and have their effects. Simple as that. You shall condemn. No weapon fashioned against you will prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. That's what the Bible tells us. Isaiah 54 17, you shall condemn them. But if you're not condemning them, they're going to stick fast in you. So this is what the word is telling us. So we are to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Now he says, take the helmet of salvation. And this is what I want to come to. Take the helmet of salvation and sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 17, Ephesians 6. Helmet of salvation goes together with what? Sword of the Spirit. The whole army must be put on, and I'm not uh, uh, taking any importance of any part of the armor. No, I'm not. But I'm just pointing out that in the 17th verse, it says, take the helmet, the covering of your head, and the sword of the Spirit. Helmet of salvation and sword of the Spirit. Cover your head and what? Sword of the Spirit is the word of God in your mouth. Helmet covering your head, your thoughts, your emotions. <laughs> Don't let your emotions get carried away. Huh? Respond to logic and reason. Respond to the word of God. And by the way, when we talk about logic, you've got to understand that logic comes from the word logos. 
So Logos is the written word. That's the logic of God. That's why God says, come now, let us reason together, said the Lord. God wants to reason with you. He wants to teach you things. We've got to put that Logos, the written word, in our heart and let the Logos become the rhema. The written word become what? The living word. Why? Because it's locked in the heart. So when it's locked in the heart and it's there, and the Bible says at the right time, it will fly out of your mouth because what? Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth shall speak. And we must understand that this helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit goes together. By the way, when you look at me, I'm not wearing a helmet, okay? You'll never see a physical helmet on me. You can look at my head, you see it's bald. You can see everything right here about the. I'm not wearing a helmet, but please, please, please do not misunderstand what you're looking at. Because this helmet that God has given me is definitely on my head. You might not see it, but it's there. It must be there. Why? Because I make sure it's there. I am conscious of my helmet of salvation. I am conscious of what I'm carrying. I'm conscious of who I'm carrying. I'm conscious of what I'm endowed with. I'm conscious of the power he has given me. I'm conscious of the authority that he has given me. And I utilize the authority to know what I can do. I know my <laughs> I'm not going to say my limitations. I don't like that word. Because you see, with Jesus, there's no limit to Jesus. I know my great authority. I know what I'm carrying. I know who I'm carrying. I know the extreme power that I have. I know where he has placed me above the nations of the earth and what? Above the kingdoms of the world. So all these kingdoms of the devil, I am above that. And that's how I operate. So it comes from knowing who you are and understanding what you've been due, you have been endued with. And all this I have been endued with. Please understand now you must take up your authority. Helmet of salvation. Sword of the Spirit, which is what? Word of God. What do you do with a sword? We certainly don't peel bananas and oranges with a sword. We fight with a sword. We kill with a sword. We wound with a sword. We cut down with the sword of the Spirit. That's what we do with the sword. And that's what we do in what? Spiritual warfare. If the word of God is a sword, then we must do what? Make sure your mouth is releasing that word. And make sure you know that you know that you know you're assured that when you release the word of God, you're being effective. Something is, being, something is happening. So when you're releasing the sword of the Spirit, the Bible says that the sword of the Spirit is what? It, it is like a fire. The hammer, Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like as a fire and a hammer that breaketh the rocks in pieces? And God told Jeremiah again, he said, Jeremiah, because you speak my word, I'm going to make my word in your mouth fire. And I'm going to make the people be like wood. So don't tell me. That witches and warlocks are going to stand up to me like iron. No. You're going to be like wood. I'm going to burn you up. I'm going to devour you. And when fire gets wood and it begins to work on wood, please understand that when fire begins to work on wood, it consumes it. and makes wood turn to ashes. Okay? That's how, what you need to understand. You're turning your adversary. You're consuming them. You're not burning them to ashes. 
But guess what? You are consuming them with a fire that's beyond anything that is natural down here. They cannot stand up to the fire of the living God. This is what we need to understand. So we want you to understand that this is how you must operate. This is spiritual warfare. All right. So the Bible goes on. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So we are to constantly be in prayer. Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus said, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't roll over and play dead. Those things are not allowed. You must be in prayer all the time. Man, meaning mankind, are always to pray and not faint. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't go weeping and crying and uh, singing, born to lose. I used to do all that. That don't work. You need to put your shoes on, put your war boots on, and get stomping. That's what the Bible says. You shall trample upon serpents, trample upon scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means, methods, or devices harm you. That's the word. And that's what we live up to. And that's what we do. That's what we demonstrate. That's what we believe. That's our faith. Why? Because our faith is in who? The King, Jesus. Commander-in-Chief. So we are to pray always with all our prayers and supplications, meaning your specific requests in the Spirit. And watch, dear unto, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Watch. In other words, when you pray, look for some results. I teach all the time. I say, hey, listen. Whenever you pray for rain, take the umbrella with you. Okay? Don't waste your time. Take that umbrella with you. Why? Because it's going to rain. You're talking with the Lord. You're conversing with him. And when you do so, well, pray. And you don't believe what you're praying. You're wasting time. Go back to bed. So prayer and requests must be made believing, watching for the answer with expectation, anticipation. We know this is going to work. Why? I'm dealing with the Lord. I'm dealing with Jesus. And it's got to work. I am assured. This is not praying with hope. When you're a baby Christian, you pray with hope. Okay? Hope is something you don't have. But when you pass hope and you've come out of drinking milk and you're eating meat as a Christian, you're not hoping anymore. You're coming to assurance. What is assurance? I know that I know that I know that I know it's going to happen. That's assurance. Okay? See, so you graduate and you go through different stages. When you come to the Lord, it's like going to, in the army, you go to your boot camp. When you come out of boot camp, you're a private. Then as you grow and you gain experience, you become a lance corporal, a corporal, and you become a sergeant. You grow, you grow up in rank. But my God, after you're walking with the Lord for a certain time, you get seasoned in him. You get to know him. And if you're diligent in him, my God, he'll make you a general. You go into the arena of assurance. You will know and understand that you reach the point where you're locked in. There's no turning back. Why? I have experienced him time after time after time after time. This is how you got to build your experience with him. We must understand 
uh, that it's that it, 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 God wants you to be in that arena. Understand very, very carefully that God wants you to be in that arena. He wants you to be in that realm. He wants you to be in that domain. He wants you to know and understand that you are his child. You are his representative, his ambassador, his soldier that he has down here on earth. God is telling you and he wants you to know, I, I, I have called you into my army. You're a warrior for such a time as this, and I need you in my army. We are warriors for Jesus. So we're not going to back down to anything or anybody. All right? So God wants us to be that soldier, that type of soldier. And we are to be watchful uh, in all perseverance and requests, praying for the saints, making specific requests for the saints. So in other words, we're not praying for ourselves only. We pray for the body of Christ. Because you see, some baby Christians don't know how to pray. Those are more seasoned. Those are more potent. Those are more uh, matured. They know how to pray. And we pray for those babies. They're drinking milk. You're eating meat. You've got to watch over them. You've got to pray for your children, your grandchildren, your little ones. You hear me say so many times, a young bird doesn't know a hurricane. They don't know the storms. You've got to pray for those children. You've got to pray for your grandchildren, your little teenagers. They don't know anything. They don't know. And you have to be their defense. You have to be their covering. I know I've got to be a covering for my wife. So when I'm, I'm up at night, I've got to cover her, and I've got to cover the people of God, the flock of God. I've got to cover the believers, the young believers, anywhere and all over the place, all over the world, Nigeria, Africa, wherever there's spiritual turmoil and conflict. I've got to cover them too. Why? Because of the, the, the position where the Lord has positioned me. I can't just pray for myself, just us four, no more. No. I'm called upon to what? Represent the body and go on warfare for the body of Jesus Christ. And Paul the Apostle says, he says, go on in the 19th verse, he says, pray for me, that what utterance may be given to me in opening my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel. Paul would be bold. It needs prayer. And I'm going to be the first one to say, and I've heard some preachers who are just foolish, dumb. Don't pray for me. I don't need your prayer. What rubbish. I tell people, pray for me all the time. Pray for me, pray for my family. We pray for each other. I need you to pray for me. You need me to pray for you. I'm not up there all the way, up there that I don't need. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. You pray for me. I even have my grandchildren pray for me sometimes. That's right. Innocence of a grandchild praying for you. That's right. Because what? I need their prayers. I got to teach them and show them how to pray and say, you need to pray for Papa. I'm praying for you. Yes, but sometimes I need you to pray for me too. And that's how we pray for each other. And Paul the Apostle says, pray for me. And he, prayed, he said, pray that utterance will be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. And he said, I am an ambassador in bonds that wherein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul lays it out right here, and he tells the believers, 
and they tell them, this is what you ought to do. So now that we know what Paul is talking about, let's follow the Apostle Paul. We want to go and see how Paul operated. I love Paul. He is my brother in the Lord. He is my seasoned brother. I, I, I just love to read him. I just love to read what he wrote. About two-thirds of the, the, the New Testament has been written by Paul. Uh, Paul, he described himself as the, what? the chiefest of sinners, uh, just like I was. He had his Damascus Road experience with Jesus, just like I did. And uh, Paul wrote many, many books. And he wrote and he, and he made re many revelations. And, and, and I love the revelations of Paul. And I pride myself to, if, I, if I'm following anybody in the New Testament, I, I follow some in the old, like David, but I love Paul. And I want to put my foot in the footsteps of Paul, but more so in the, foot, in the footsteps of Jesus. But we got to understand that these, Paul and David and those who wrote the scriptures, they followed Jesus and gave us the revelation of the word of God. All right, so Paul the Apostle, getting straight to the point, he had an encounter with a who? Oh, yes, you guessed it, a sorcerer. What did Paul do? Acts 13. Go there, please, in your Bible. Acts 13. And we want to see what Apostle Paul did with a sorcerer. And we want to do what? Emulate Paul. Because, you see, Paul was operating under the steam of Jesus. He was operating under the directives of Jesus. So Paul met this sorcerer. <laughs> he is a sorcerer. He was a male, not a witch, a sorcerer. In the 8th verse, Acts 13, Elimas. Uh-huh. Elimas. Bar-Jesus. And he withstood them. He countered Paul. Hmm. First thing he shouldn't have done, he should... Uh, uh, he shouldn't have stood up before the man of God, the mighty apostle, to withstand him. The Bible said, God told Moses and Joshua, there shall never be a man all the days of your life that will stand before you to withstand you. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. That's what he told Joshua. No one shall withstand you. No, it will never work. And what did he seek to do? Turn away the deputy from the faith. Here Paul is talking to this big shot king, Sergius Paulus, and Elimus, the sorcerer, is trying to turn him away from the faith. So here we have a perfect matchup. Do you hear that? This is a matchup between a sorcerer and a man of God. Mm. This is a matchup between Jesus and the devil. All right? Spirit to spirit. All the apostles and elements are by Jesus the sorcerer, serving the devil. On this corner is Elimus, and on this corner, serving Jesus, is the apostle Paul. So he goes now, and he, he wants to turn away the proconsul from the faith. And Paul, huh, who was, used to be called Saul, filled with the Holy Ghost, huh? Set his eyes on him. Woo! Now let's break that down. Tells you about Paul the Apostle, who used to be called Saul back when he was a bad boy. He is now what? Filled with the Holy Ghost. Stop right there. I talked about the Holy Ghost and the baptism of the uh, uh, Holy Ghost with 
tongues of fire. I talked about it this week, about two or three days. I talked about God who is a consuming fire. He wants us to be truly like him. And to be truly like God, what do we got to do? We're flesh. We're encased in a body of flesh. Yes. But God says, uh-uh. You have a spirit and you have a soul. And your soul and your spirit are tied together. And I want you to be what? Baptized in what? Fire. The Holy Ghost and fire. That's what the Bible tells us. Acts 2. They were filled. The disciples were all in an upper room. 120 of them. They were in one accord one day. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came as a mighty rushing wind. Filled up the whole room. Sounded like a tornado in that room. And the Bible says that the Holy Ghost came and sat upon each and every one of them. Gave them each their own tongues like cloven tongues of fire. It sat upon them. This is the narrative. It looked like fire. And it sat upon them. And what happened? They all began to speak in tongues in another language. Fiery tongues. Tongues of fire. They were baptized. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. And this is what God wants to do with you. He wants to baptize you with fire. Now, I know, of course, you know, you look at your face and say, well, I don't want to be a barbecue. No, it won't barbecue you. We're talking about spiritual things now. He wants tongues of fire. Oh, hallelujah. He wants you speaking in other tongues. And when you don't, uh, you come to praying and you don't understand, the Holy Ghost will take over. You begin to speak another tongue. You speak tongues of fire. Demons got to run. What? God is a consuming fire. He's not like natural fire that needs something to consume. He's not like natural fire that needs oxygen to burn. If natural fire down here doesn't have a piece of wood or paper or something cloth to burn, it can't burn. You take a match and you strike it, there is phosphorus on the match and it has wood. But if you have nothing to consume, you can't have fire. Something must be there to be consumed. Not so with God. The Bible says he is. His nature, his essence is what? A consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. And then about God, what emanates from God? Fire. We talked about when, when, when uh, Ezekiel saw God. What did he see? He said, Ezekiel said, when I saw him, I looked at his loins. And from his loins upward, when I see the appearance of fire. And when I looked at his loins from the appearance downward, what did it look like? Fire. He was sitting on the throne. He had the outline of a man. But what was his appearance? Fire. He is a consuming fire. And we talked about it. I was teaching on it this past week when, he, when, when uh, uh, Elijah was on the Mount Carmel and when he called unto God, he says, God, let these people know that I'm doing what you, uh, what you tell me to do at your word. You told me this is your word. You gave me instructions. 
Let these people know that I'm doing what I'm doing here according to your word. So answer. What did God do? God came down from heaven and he answered by fire. God himself came down from heaven. He didn't send fire down like a, 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 a ball of fire. No, 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 no. He came down himself. And when he came down, he licked up the flesh of the bullock. He licked up the wood. He licked up the stones, which the altar was built on. Huh? Does normal fire burn stones? No, it doesn't. And he licked up the dirt and the water and left a gaping hole in the ground. It consumed all that. So there is something different about the fire of God. He is a consuming fire. He consumed the wood. He consumed the cow, the bullet cut, cut up in pieces. He consumed the water, vaporized it, totally obliterated it. But he consumed the stones, and he consumed the dirt. He showed his power and his great authority to consume things and left a hole in the ground on Mount Carmel. And this is who you're dealing with. Don't mess with him and tell the devil, don't mess with him because he has something about God. You just can't, you can't, you can't go over him. So Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost and fire and he set his eyes upon him. He penetrated him with the eyes. The eyes are what? Windows to the soul. And he looked at him. He penetrated his glare upon him, his glance upon him. And he said, he verbalized to him, out of the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth spoke, and he spoke under the directors of the Holy Spirit. You're full of subtlety. Eh? You're full of deceit and cunning. You son of the devil, you son of Satan, you enemy of righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? By the way, when you're confronting your devils and your demons, witches and warlocks, you call them what Paul called him, your son of Satan, evil, cunning, wicked sorcerer, evil, cunning, wicked witch. Call him out. Put a label on him. This is what you do. Do it like Paul did. You enemy of what? Righteousness. You're an enemy of God. Call him out. And let them know this is who you are. And then what did he do? He pronounced the hand of the Lord. The judgment of God is on you. You shall be blind, not seeing the sun for us even. Well, guess what? I always said, but this is the word of God, and I can't counter the word of God. That was pain, Paul. I thought Paul the apostle was going to say, listen, suffer another witch or a warlock to live. You shall die. And you shall not live. Because that's my that's how vicious I am. Why? I go back and say, You you're gonna die. But maybe the good Lord knew that Bar Jesus would sometime in the future repent. We don't know. And he said, You shall be a blind for a season. You will not see the sun for a season, for a period of time. And afterwards, then you you know, he'll restore his sight. And immediately what happened? There fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Hmm? This is what? Judgment. You don't play with God. And guess what? If Paul had it, Paul is dead and gone. 
God bless Brother Paul. But guess what? You got it too. You know what I'm telling you? But you need the wherewithal. You need the fire. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You need to understand that this is what God wants to do. And let me tell you something. In this day and age and time when we see so much wickedness, wicked rulers, wicked leaders, wicked presidents, prime ministers, wicked governors, huh? telling you you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got... My God, let me tell you, this is where we need the authority. And I'm praying, I'm saying, Jesus, if you raise me up, just give me about a thousand holders with the authority. I want to reach people and let you know that this is what you need to do. Because you see, well, I had some great bishops. I had, I, I, my bishop was a great bishop. And I had people who taught the word of God. They were great. They were 24 karat bishops and evangelists that came and preached the word. And they preached the word. They did a great job. But guess what? No one really taught me warfare. I mean, exclusively, stay in the lane of warfare. No one did. I never had anything like that. And after my encounter, I said to the Lord, I said, God, where is the secret lie? And I began to talk with God. And I began to pray and ask God. And the Lord began to lead me, and he showed me this. And everything, every fiber of my being today is about spiritual warfare, countering the works of darkness, the lies of the believer, the body of Jesus Christ. Why? I am determined to leave a footprint in this world. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not, I'm not going to say, but I'm determined to leave a footprint. Just like Paul left a footprint. I said, this is how you do it. This is what the Bible says. Everything we do is coming from the Bible because the Lord has revealed it to me. And he has revealed code seven warfare to me. So Paul the apostle pronounced judgment on him. He pronounced condemnation on him. You shall be blind for a season, not seeing the sun for a season. And I thought that was tame, but you know, I, I, acquiesce, I acquiesce to the Lord. And then the deputy, when he saw what was done, he believed. Did you see that, verse 12? Hmm? Go back to the scripture again. When the deputy saw, Acts 13, and let's look at verse 12. When the deputy saw, or then the proconsul of the deputy, when he saw with his own eyes what was done, then he believed. What? Seeing is believing. Well, if he didn't see anything, he probably wouldn't have believed. But now he saw what was happening. He was what? Astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. And I want to leave you that part. He was dumbfounded. He was amazed. He was bowled over at what? The doctrine of the Lord. What was the doctrine of the Lord? Judgment. Hallelujah. Pronounce judgment and it happens. Glory to God. This was a demonstration of what? The power of God. Upon the wicked sorcerer. And let me tell you something. This is your sorcerer uh, example. So when you come and you're praying against any and every witch and every sorcerer, this is what you pronounce against them. And when I pronounce against sorcerer, I don't say like 
Paul, you shall be blind for a season. I said, no, suffer not a witch to live. Suffer not a warlock or a wizard to live. You shall die and not live. We, the believers, shall live and not die. We shall declare the glory, the works of the Lord in the land of the living. Where did you get that from? That's Psalm 118 and verse 17. I shall live. I shall not die. I'm not going anywhere. You are going to die. Anybody going to die? Uh-uh. You shall die, not live. We live and not die. Bible. This is where we're coming from. That's warfare. You've got to be drastic. You've got to use the word. You've got to find that word and utilize that word because you've got to understand it's either them. You're fighting wicked, deadly enemies. And the enemies you're fighting want you dead. You've got to understand they don't want to see you sick in the hospital, lying in the bed, moaning and groaning. No, 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 no. They want to dance on your grave. And they want to sing another one bites the dust. Well, guess what? I hate to disappoint you, but I'm not going anywhere. And you're not going anywhere. Why? Because I'm going to pray for you. And I'm fasting for you. And I'm releasing the word of God over you. I'm releasing fire on you. I am fire baptized. Do you hear what I'm telling you? I know my authority. I know what I've been called to do, what to teach. I know my assignment from God to prepare the body of Christ when Jesus returns, we'll be caught up to meet him in the air. I know Code 7 warfare. I know what Jesus did through Code 7. His deadly enemies, the scribes and the Pharisees, when he pronounced eight woes, and seven of those woes had the scribes and the Pharisees' names on it. And the woes that he pronounced, woe means tribulation. Great anguish, great suffering, great pain, great hardship. That was not a blessed job. You mean Jesus did that? Yes, he did, Matthew 23. Begin at verse 13. He pronounced seven woes upon them. He didn't say, I bless you seven times. He said, no, seven times to them. Woe, tribulation and anguish, deep suffering be unto you. And he told him, why? Go check it out yourself. Seven times, Jesus was no whip, no pushover. He knew what they would do, but that's what he came for. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He came to be slapped and spat upon, ridiculed, mocked, and scorned. Do you hear what I'm telling you? So that you and you and me would not have to be ridiculed. We operate from a position of authority. We operate from a position of power. We operate from a position of being above, not beneath, just like the Apostle Paul. And we know that Apostle Paul was martyred, yes, but he came for that purpose. But see, Code 7 warfare, this is a time and a season when God says his people must live and not die. We're going to use that authority. Make sure we endure until he comes. We've got to understand that the Lord is backing us up. We've got to understand all the scriptures that the Lord told us. Luke 10, 19, 
<laughs> Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the adversary. Nothing shall by any means, methods or devices hurt you. Uh, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. That's all talking to you. Do you believe it? Or do you waver in your opinion? Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Well, you need to stop wavering. I want you to get to the point where you look at the word and say, Jesus said that. Heaven and earth is going to crumble and fall, but that word is going to stand forever. He cannot lie. That word is for me. You hear what I'm telling you? When it comes to your wellness, that word is for me. When it comes to your peace, that word is for me. When it comes to your joy unspeakable and full of glory, that word is for me. Nothing shall change my mind. Why? Because he spoke the word. And I stand on the word. I stand on the word. I stand, I stand uh, not only on it, it's my foundation, but I have the word coming over and keeping me, covering me. His word is a shield about me and the litter of my head. I don't get discouraged. I can't get discouraged. Why? The word lifts my head. So I'm always releasing the word. I go by what Jesus, uh, uh, the Lord told Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 said, Joshua, this word, this book of the Lord shall constantly be in your mouth. You are to recite it day and night. Meditate on it. Recite it constantly. Then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. I want prosperity. And I want good success. I want nothing less. Why? Because that's what the word promises me. But if you don't do your part, then you cannot have it. No apologies. No excuses. You're not condemning, then all the fiery arrows will stick in you. All the curses and the hexes and the spells will come to you. Because you're not doing your part. You're not retaliating with fire. You're not doing what Paul did to the sorcerer. And we've got to understand if you don't do it, you can't have it. All right? And I want to close out tonight. Psalm 109. I released that scripture today because I know the enemy is up to some stuff, but I want to uh, release a word. I want to blaze some fire down on the heads of the enemy. I want to silence the mouth of the way. I want to shatter their cheekbones, break out their teeth. Psalm 109, I wrote in my books, about two books, I believe, become a 109er. I'm a 109er. I not only release Psalm 109, I release many other scriptures. Whatever they send your way, send it back. And I'm going to point that out to you right now. So don't be afraid. When I was going to Bible school many years ago, uh, my bishop said to me, my teaching bishop said, oh, we shouldn't be using Psalm 109. And I said, why? If you tell me something, I'm not to do this, I'm going to, guess what? I'm going to find out because I'm going to do it. And one of the first things I said, God, should, and the Lord said to me, he told me all scripture, not some scripture, all scripture is given under the inspiration or given by the inspiration of God. Why are you not using that? If all scripture is given under the inspiration, the in-breathing of God, why is it off limits? Because the devil don't want you using it. So he told some bishops, don't use it. Tell your people, don't use it. Why? Because you're hurting him. And you're hurting his cause. And you're hurting his witches and warlocks. That's why they teach that stuff. Because somebody got intimidated by the devil of hell. They don't even teach that in Bible school. They don't teach warfare. They teach you nice stuff. Me, I teach warfare. I teach survival. I teach Life preservation. 
And I'm not just talking about preserving health. I'm teaching about good health, honey. Wellness, uh, peace, joy, prosperity, whatever the Bible says, your hundredfold you've got to have because the Lord said it belongs to you. So let's get to Psalm 109. Told not your peace, O God of my praise. The mouth of the wicked, mouth of the deceitful are open against me. Did you hear that? Their mouth. They speak words through their mouths. They curse through their mouths. They are open their mouth against me. They have spoken against me with what? Lying tongues, demonic tongues. But the devil is the father of all lies. They compass me. They encircled me about with words of hatred. You see that? Words. Word warfare. Words of hatred. And they fought against me without a reason. For my love, they are my adversaries. I don't have a hateful bone in my body. Do you hear what I'm telling you? I have a loving bone in my body because I have Jesus. God is love. For my love, they are my adversaries. Why? I give myself unto prayer. My response is what? Give yourself to prayer. What kind of prayer? Declaratory prayer. I declare the word. This is the word of God. This is what David said. He wrote the scripture, and he was declaring regarding Judas Iscariot. Psalm 69, Psalm 109, prophesied Judas, and got David out of his hot water also. So here he says, for my love, you're my adversary, but I'm going to give myself unto prayer. Are you giving yourself unto prayer? The old way you normally do as the prayer artist. I don't. Listen, put that all behind you, okay? Let's get something straight. It's not working. Okay, God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you run with the footmen in a foot race, and they weary you, they tire you out. And you're burned out, tired, you're just down. How are you going to run with the horsemen? And if in the land where you trust and you find peace, what are you going to do when the Jordan swells? What are you going to do when fire comes and horsemen come? How or what will you do in the swelling of your Jordan? Well, Jordan is falling down. <laughs> darkness is covering the earth and gross darkness to people. Satan is on the move. What are you going to do? War like you've been warring 10 years ago? No, 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 no. We need to change strategy. Begin to do it the Bible way, what Jesus said. It is written. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. The it is written prayer. Daddy says prayer. They have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at the right hand of that wicked man. Ah, when he shall be judged, let him be condemned. Let his prayers become sin. Let his days be few. Let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless, meaning that father is going to die, his wife a widow. Let his children be continually vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread out of their desolate places. So it will never be said like father, like children. Let the extortioner catch all that he has, and let the strangers spoil their labor. Are you seeing the generous use of let, L-E-T, let? Let there be none to extend mercy unto him, neither let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Are you seeing that? Hmm? Let his posterity. Be cut off, and in the generation following, let your names be blotted out. Let his generation be cut off. 
Let in the following, let his name or his generation be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered with the Lord. Let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Let, let, let. What does let mean? Let means to permit or to allow. But it also means to commission or to assign. So when he said, let them be before the Lord, assign them to be before you continually. Commission them to be before you continually, Lord. Why? That you may cut off the very memory of them from the earth. That's what the Bible talks about, a wicked. Wicked man, ah, when they die, the people rejoice. Cut off the very memory of wicked men from the earth. Hmm? Why? Because they remembered not to show mercy. They forgot mercy. But what did they do? They hounded, they persecuted the poor man, the needy man. Why? That he might even kill the brokenhearted man. Wicked. That's the, uh, what you call injustice. That's what you call oppression. They hounded, persecuted, poor and the needy man, the poor needy man. Why? To kill him. Why? He's brokenhearted. They don't seek to kill anybody else like them, strong like them, and rich like them, and powerful. No, no, no. They want to kill the poor and the needy, the masses. That's what we're seeing happening today. They want to terminate the masses from the face of the earth. Genocide or democide. That's what they're doing. That's their aim, their agenda. Depopulation. When they live to be 95 years old, like the prince, what's his name, in England, died the other day, 95 years old. You think at age 95, he said, well, I live long enough, I can go now, I can kill myself. No, 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 they don't kill themselves. They want to kill everybody else. First thing they want to talk about, they want to talk about poor countries. Africa, India, oh, the poor of the world. And they want to terminate people, depopulate people, they say, in poor countries. Well, why don't you start with yourself? Why? They figure because they're rich, they're wealthy, and they call themselves first world nation, they have a right to terminate. No, you don't have a right to terminate anybody's life. That's a right that belongs only to the Lord. As a boy, I heard this. Uh, a song, I heard it said, if life was a thing that money could buy, the rich would live and the poor would die. Money can't buy life. That's what they want to do now. With their money, they want to terminate the world. Bring it down to 500 million and, and bring the world down. Two-thirds of the people must go. That's what they're saying. Per, the world has three times too many people on it. So they want to terminate two-thirds of the world. So here we have the Bible finding them out. They didn't remember to show kindness. They persecuted, they hounded the poor and needy man. And by the way, the rich rules over the poor. Borrower is slave to the lender. That's what the Bible says. So it's the rich ruling over the poor that wants to terminate the poor and the needy man. Want to kill the brokenhearted. So it goes on now and now the Holy Spirit turns it around. He says, look. As they love cursing, let the curses come to them. Let it boomerang and come on them. Let whatsoever they sow, let them also reap. As he delights not in blessing, 
Let the blessings be far from them. Let no blessings come to them. Hmm? As he clothed himself with cursing like as with his garment, let it come into his bowels like water, like oil in his bones. Let it seep into his bowels like water, quench his thirst, and like oil in his bones. In other words, let oil go in his bones. Bones don't have oil in there. They got marrow in there. So you know this is saying, let him die, slow death. Let it be unto him as the garment which covers him, for a girdle wherewith he is girded continually. Let the curses girdle him. Let it be like an undergarment to him. Let this be the reward of my adversaries from the Lord and of them that speak evil against my soul. I'll shift this for a little bit. Verse 20 says, let this be the reward of the adversaries of the church of Jesus Christ, the people of God. Let this be the reward of the adversaries of the church of Jesus Christ, the saints of the living God, and those who would speak evil against our souls, those who would seek to curse us, hex us, and cast spells upon us. They shall what? Die. They shall not live. Whatever they, whatever they curse, they spit out. That's what's coming right back to you sevenfold. Now you know how I pray. Let this be the reward of my adversaries. Let this be the reward of the adversaries of Jesus from the Lord. Let this be the reward of the adversaries of the church of Jesus Christ from the Lord and of all them that speak evil against our soul. But Lord, do for us. For your name's sake, because your mercy is good, deliver us. We're poor and needy. Our heart is wounded within us. We're gone like the shadow when it declines. We're fading away. And I don't wait till we get that point. I'm tossed up and down as a locust. This is what David said. I'm so far gone, God. I'm like an evening shadow. I'm losing it. My life is ebbing and flowing away. As my knees are weak through fasting and my flesh fails of fatness. I became a mockery, a scorn, reproach to them. When they looked upon me, they shake their heads. They wag their heads. Look at him. He trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Fool that he is. Yeah, right. That's how David got. That's when David wrote this scripture. And when he, when he prayed it to God, God turned the condition around. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to your mercy. He implores the loving kindness of Jesus that they may know that this is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. Show yourself strong, Lord, in my condition. Show yourself mighty in my situation. Prove yourself, God. Break through for me. Render the judgment, the justice that only you can render. In other words, as Jeremiah would say, Lord, let me see your vengeance upon my enemies. Vengeance belongs to you. Allow me to feast my eyes upon your vengeance as you afflict them. Let them know that this is your hand. Let them curse, Lord but turn the curse into blessings. And when they arise, let them be ashamed. Let your servant rejoice. Let my adversaries, all of them, be clothed with shame. 
Let them cover themselves with their own confusion as with a mantle. What will I do in return? I can't pay you, but I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yes, I'll praise him among the multitude, among the throng. For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn his what? His soul. They stand to condemn my soul. They want to kill me. They want to hurt me. But you're going to stand at my right hand. What? To save me from all those that condemn my soul. This is the word. This is what I pray. God watches over his word to perform it. I have Jesus standing at my right hand. Oh, hallelujah. Praise his name. Why? Because I released this word. He's standing at my right hand, my hand of power. When Jesus stands by my right hand, guess what? He is empowering my right hand. I don't have to do a thing. He does it for me. You know why? Because the battle is not mine. The battle is not yours. The battle is his. So when you're done pray, go to your bed and have a good night's sleep. And keep praying. Because you see, when it comes to prayer, and I close it, this prayer reaches a threshold. It reaches a tipping point. Not what, uh, some of you are, are, are mommies. Sometimes the baby cries and the baby goes, Aah. You don't run to the baby when a minute the baby, no, no, no. The baby starts to cry, then you know something is wrong. You don't just you hear the baby say, Aah. and you go and you grab, no, no, no. Well, so with prayer. Your prayer reaches a threshold, a tipping point, a certain level. And then at a certain level, when God sees fit, well, I was doing a study today on the cup of iniquity. And it says when the cup of iniquity is full, the cup of wickedness is full, God then he acts. Well, until the cup of iniquity, when he said in the Old Testament, the cup of the Amorites is not yet full. But when the cup of iniquity is full, bad judgment is coming. That's how God moves. Cornelius, your arms have gone up before God. There was a tipping point. He's been doing it all these years, a long, long time. But one day, God sent an angel, show him a vision. Your arms and your, 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 your gifts have come up before God as a memorial. The tipping point has been reached. Well, that's the same way God operates. You do the praying. You do the declaration of the scripture. Give yourself unto prayer. Declare his word. When the tipping point is reached, he will do his action. That's how it works. So let's be like Paul the Apostle. Let's stay in there. Stand firmly in there. Let's be bold about our declaration. And by the way, if you can get something in on the midnight hour, you don't have to spend a lot of time in the midnight hour, spend about 10 minutes, you know, go to bed earlier, get near on the midnight hour. I love the midnight prayer. Things happen at midnight. That's when God went out at midnight and he killed the firstborn of Egypt. Don't mess with him. He does things at the midnight hour. Some people love 3 o'clock. God bless you. I love 3 o'clock every so often. Some people love 5. Okay, no problem. But I command my day in the midnight hour between 12 o'clock and 2 o'clock, 
take command and I speak over my day. I command my morning. So this is what we're going to do. We want to become a 109er. I want you to release that word. Fire goes before him and burns up every enemy round about him. Let that word go before you and burn up every enemy. The word of God is God. Everything about God is a consuming fire. The word of God is consuming fire. So send that word before you. Send it into your tomorrows. Don't be touched. Your house, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, off limits. You can't touch them. They're wrapped in fire. He makes his angel spirits, and he makes his what? Ministers of flaming fire. That's you and you and you. You're a flaming fire. Touch not my anointed. Do my prophets no harm. The anointing. You carry an anointing of fire. That's where I want you. I want you, seriously, and I close with this again, seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was promised to you. Go to God and say, I need it. I've got to be able to survive today. Go through, endure. But I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't want it for yourself, I want it for my children. I want it for my grandchildren. I want it for the body of Christ. I want to be able to stay right here in Miami and speak over where? Russia, China, Pakistan, Nigeria, anywhere. Saudi Arabia, there is injustice and wickedness and evil. I want to stay right here. Why? I need the tongues of fire. So, fast, pray, go to God, understanding what he promised you in his word and what he will give you if you be diligent in seeking him. May the Lord bless you tonight. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord God lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and till he returns. And by the way, you need to get, especially my last book, Escaping the New World Order, One World Babylon, through Bible Code 7. Learn the strategy of Code 7 warfare. Get the understanding of it. Utilize it. It works, and you'll be on top and not the bottom. Just as Jesus said, you'll be the head and not the tail. Have yourself a fabulous and outstanding night. God bless you.